Welcome to another episode of Old School Thoughts. And, uh, and again, thank you for all of your support and feedback. We are going to have a part two to our last conversation with Willie Haynes concerning somebody paved the way. And we're not going to lose a lot of time because I want us to gather as much as we possibly can from this story because I was completely astonished to hear someone of my generation describe an old school lifetime that was different from mine when for 12 years he and I have been talking old school and I'm realizing that the old school that he and I were sharing were basically values not the same livelihood so Willie I'm opening up and give you a chance to make your greeting and then we'll go right into this particular episode okay well, good, good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Willie Hain, like I said on the last podcast. Uh, I'm a very, very close friend of Mr. G. I call him Mr. G, but we talk about Mr. Goodman. <laughs> and like I said on the last podcast, I'm married to Apostle Veronica Willie Hain. We passed the King of Faith Outreach Minister off on Midtown Drive, off of Maker Road. And, uh, you know, I, I've been talking to Mr. G since the last podcast, and, and it sparks a lot of interest. So we're just going to get into part two. And let's see what happened with part two. But Willie, your episode caused a lot of discussion. And people mm-hmm. talked about the timeline. That is what captured their minds. Now, before I go into the question that I have for you, I just want to reiterate on something you said. Okay. And you were saying that your mother, you can recall standing at the end of Cotton Row. And yes, your sir. mother had a bag on her back picking cotton. Yes, sir. I just wanted to say to you, I've seen, you know, just teaching African-American history, reading African-American uh, books, we've seen those pictures so many times. Mm-hmm. But I want to say to you that your description, your lively description of your mother and your position completely removed the image that I've always seen in books to a mm-hmm. live to a live image in my head. Yes, sir. And and so it is just astonishing, man, you know, that you and I are in the same generation and this is what I'm listening to you saying. Yes, sir. But I want to ask you what were some of the fun things that you all were able to do? as children that represented old school? All right. Well, I know you asked me that question on the last podcast, and I kind of, like, didn't get a chance to really answer because of all the other stuff we was talking about. But some of the fun things I remember, Mr. G, was, you know, we had this thing called the rolling store. <laughs> the rolling what now? The rolling store. Okay. And it was just, it was just like U-Haul type of truck that would come around, and it would stop at all the houses of people who didn't have transportation to get into a town to go to a store. So it would come around, and it would have everything that you could possibly name on this rolling store. Hmm. And we would all line up, 
and we would get all the stuff that I heard you and Daryl Summary talk about <laughs> as far as the Mary Jane candy, the, the grasshoppers, the 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 the, the, the bazooka bubblegum. <laughs> and we would get all that stuff. And, and and all the kids would just be so excited about that rolling store. And they came around like once a week, always on a Saturday morning, and we knew the time it was coming and we could look forward to that rolling store coming around and, and, and us going out there and just getting everything that a kid could imagine that they wanted at that time. You know, like y'all said, for a nickel, you could come out there with a bag of candy. <laughs> so so who owned this Who owned this rolling store? But that's the funny thing. It, it was like a, it was a white guy, but he had a local store in town, but he, I guess he came up with this idea where Hey, I can put all this up on a truck and go out and hit the rural areas, and and I know they're gonna be able to spend their money because guess what? They can't hit the town or they don't have a car. Bro. So it was like a rolling store. I mean, it was like a rolling commissary. I know they always call it a good truck. But <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a good truck, Mr. G. <laughs> but you know, when I was growing up, we had what we called a vegetable truck, and this was a guy that would drive a truck, and he would have all kind of vegetables. And, and fruit yes, on his truck. So we can buy oranges, you can buy your collars and all of those kind of things off the truck. And, yes, and, and so they were, those truck drivers were always black men. You know, they were always African-American men driving those vegetable trucks through the area, though we had the neighborhood store, as yeah. I mentioned with Daryl, but I've never heard of a, a rolling store. Yeah, they, what they call it, a rolling store. It was a white guy. They had a local store, but he his wife would stay in the, in the regular store and manage that store. And he would get in that truck and he would drive around to all the black houses <laughs> that didn't have vehicles, and he would service them, you know, right at their front door. So, so that's one of the fun things. So, were you able to walk into this truck, or how how were you able to see everything that he had on this on display? Oh, he just—he had—he had like a side where he like let this let it up, mm -hmm. and when you let it up, you can see this menu that he had, and he had everything on there. Like he would have bubble gum, two for two for a nickel, uh, for the kids. Then he had a serious side for the grown-ups, where they actually, they can actually go out there and buy their groceries on this truck too, like the meats, the vegetables that you were talking about, and the produce like the corns and the tomatoes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. He had all this stuff on his truck. But we weren't worried about that side, not the kids. <laughs> we were worried about that candy side. So we went to that candy side, and he had a list of everything he had. And we already knew because he come every Saturday what he had. But that's how we would see it. And he had a freezer on there that kept all the meat fresh and everything. And it was just like, I, I called it a truck before the time because he, he used to have everything that we wanted on there. And we used to look forward to that truck every Saturday morning. So, so then that is the the reason why you and I have been able to talk old school and, and, and <laughs> yeah. talk the same thing because you did experience some of those things as far as being able to buy things from the rolling store. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then that was another thing, Mr. G, that it was like, it was like what y'all in, in Columbus called a, the, the, the club or Spencer or football game where right. everybody come out to see it right in the country we didn't have that but we had this thing come once a year where the whole all the black community would come together and in the morning time they would all get together and go clean 
three cemeteries where all the blacks were buried. Everybody would go out there, all the churches would come together, and they go clean the three cemeteries. But while we cleaned the cemeteries, they had a uh, barbecue going on. Or uh, where they, you know, in the country, they kill, a, they kill a pig, they kill a chicken, they kill a turkey, and they got all this stuff going on behind the scenes. So when you get to cleaning your cemetery, everybody meet at this one spot which back then was called a drive-in, uh, and everybody meet there, and they had this big community barbecue. They had it with a baseball game. Then they had this thing called a turkey shoot where, where all the grown-ups come, and, and they shoot they shoot their guns at this target, and, and they had different levels of prizes you win. Uh, and then all the kids were looking forward to, like, all the food they were cooking. They had kid games. So it was like a big community event. It happened once a year. And we would do that, and we would look forward to that. And man, we had so much fun doing that. And it, but it was all a community thing. You clean up the cemetery, then you go have fun and games, then you eat, and you close it out at the end of the day. So it was an all-day event. Those kind of things brought the community together. You know, Calhoun County consists of like three or four different little small towns, and we all come together for that one event. And my granddaddy. Who, who actually the sharecropper would host this event every year. And all the big black farmers and everybody would put their money together and bring this thing and make it happen. And that was just a wonderful event for everybody, kids growing up alike. Well, <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> so, your, so your grandfather was a sharecropper? He was a sharecropper. He was in the Haynes family. He was the main sharecropper as far as land. Uh-huh. This man had like a thousand acres of land at one point in time. And, and you know, so he, so he, he had it. So, but so he was a farmer. He was a farmer. Uh-huh. And and he was what we the term sharecropper is basically, you know, we, we use that term lightly, but a sharecropper is basically somebody who's got land and they they own that land, but at the same time they got to pay somebody for that land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, he, him, and a, and a couple other black farmers will, will host this big event every year, and it was a fun time. I mean, it was a time where you go and you clean off your loved one's grave. Everybody participated. And when I say everybody, everybody participated. They go out to these cemetery, they clean them off, and they make it look nice. When they get through with that, they meet up at the drive-in and they got the barbecue. <laughs> oh, <my Lord. laughs> and they have all this food and then you got a big baseball game going on. You know, this side of town versus this side of town but all the fun and games. And at the same time, they got the turkey shoot going on where all the men got their shotguns and they got their rifles and they shooting at this target. They put this target down. I'm going to say down range, but they put the target down range about 50, about 50 meters with an index card on it with an X in the middle everybody shoot at it with a, a shotgun Mr. G oh my lord <laughs> and whoever get the closest buckshot to the center they, they win different prizes you know that you might win a turkey you might win a, a, a chicken or they had this thing they call win you win the lady but now don't don't take it out of country. It's not the lady. The lady was a fifth of Oh Lord! <laughs> but they call it the lady. But so they and, then they, and they have different events and they just win different prizes. Then somebody gonna win like a hundred or two hundred dollars cash prize. So it was just a big big event and it went on all day. Oh my goodness! 
So, it was like a big festival. Yeah, so, those, yeah. Those were the fun things that I remember about, you know, about being, even though we was being, you know, in the country and being second, but we had our own ways to make things happen. And believe it or not, in the black community, that was a big deal. So, so Willie, at what point in your life did you come to terms that you were a sharecropper's son or whatever the proper term is for, you know, the way you identify it? At what point did you realize that? Okay, I'm going to give you two answers, Mr. G. Uh, even though with all that stuff going on, we having fun, family loving each other, family strong, at the end of the day, you still had to return back to your house and, and, and face reality. And the things that made me face reality as a young boy growing up, I can remember my 16-year-old brother. At the time, I was probably about, he's four years older than me, so I was probably about 12 or 13. Uh, he came home one day, he told my mom, he said, I'm not going to work for, I'm not going to call the name because, you know, I don't know right, about right. this stuff. But I'm not going to work for the man again. I'm tired of this. I want to move on. And my mother told him, she said, well, you know you're going to have to work for him as long as we live on his land and we in his house because the policy is, the unwrote policy was, if you got male children, they're going to have to work for this man as long as we on his property. So she told, she basically told him, we going, you're going to have to go back to work for him because we live in his land. That's when I started to realize then that well, no matter what we do, we still basically, and this is a strong word some folks might not like, we still basically belong to them and what they represent. So he ended up saying, well, I'll work for him until I move out of your house. And that basically what happened. He had to end up going back to work and work for the, you know, for the man until he got old enough to move out my mother's house and move on. And then this incident right here, I'm gonna tell you about, Mr. G, it's one that's close to my heart. I had been working on the farm probably from age 12, and I was probably about 16 at this time. And I had learned everything on that farm really well. I mean, I was good at it. I was better than the older hand because I had a better understanding of how things work. So he was grooming me to become the next <laughs> 40 year hand man, if you would put it like that. He gonna have me for the next 40 years. But one day, I was driving down the road on a tractor, and I had this, we call it a, a harrow, but you probably recognize it as a plow. This is the thing that you hook to the tractor, that you cultivate all the land with, that you get ready to plant the crops. And you needed this thing to go over the land and make the land smooth and ready to receive the seeds in the ground to plant your crops. But one day, I was going down the road, and... It's so big that I got over too far to the right and I hit this sign and it broke the board on the ply. So I said, well, we got another ply at the farm. And I just go back to the farm and get a different ply and go ahead and finish the job. So that way I'm doing good. You know, they'll be happy that I finished the job. But when I went and got the new ply, I didn't know it was a it was an adjustment you have to make on the ply because I'm only a kid. So I got the fly, hooked it to the tractor, and I went and did finish the job that I was told to do. But when he came and checked the job, uh, I didn't make the adjustment, so it had like a little hump in it. Every time I went up and down the road, it had like a little hump, and it don't supposed to have that hump. It's supposed to be level. Mm -hmm. And then when he came up on the scene, he said, what do you do? I said, well, I, I, I 
messed up one ply, went and got another ply, and defended the job. He went off at Ford saying, well, you messed the whole field up and you, you got me home, you didn't make the adjustment. And I was so frustrated, I told him, I said, well, won't you just pay me what you owe me and just take me home and, you know, and we'll be done with it. I don't have to come back to work no more, you know, and, and, and I'll be done for the day. And now in the country, <laughs> all white men pretty much got a rifle right in their truck. Right. When I told him that, he reached up in the back of his truck and grabbed a rifle. He pointed at me and said, oh, you're going to get back up on that tractor today and you're going to finish this job. So I said, yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Got back up on the tractor and I finished the job. And at the end of the day, when everybody thing was done, I, you know, I parked the tractor where it was at. We got in the truck and I went home like a normal day. But when I got home, I told my mom, I said, I'm not going back because he pulled a gun on me. She said, why did he pull a gun on you? And I told her the same thing I just told you about the story about the plot. She's like, well, you know, you're going to have to go back. I said, mom, I'm not, I don't want to go back. She said, you're going to have to go back because we live on his land. He go back to that thing again. We own his land. So whatever we do, we got to satisfy him. So I said, I'm not going back, mom. She said, you, you got to go back because if you don't go back, he's going to put us out the house. Hmm. So I took a deep breath and I said, okay, I'll go back. But I told my mom, I said, but when I go to school tomorrow, first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to go see the recruiter. And I'm going to go join the military and I'm not going to stay here. I'm getting up out of here because I don't want to go through this for 40, 50 years. If he did it one time, he's going to do it again. She said, well, you're going to have to go back. So I went back to work the next day, like, you know, like nothing happened. Yes, sir. No, sir. But when I got to school, I went straight to the recruiting office and I said, I need, I want to join the military. And I, they, they said, well, we got to, we got to, uh, we got a van going to Albany tomorrow to take people to take the ASVAB test. I said, well, put me on it. Hmm. <laughs> and when I got on it, I took the test for the Navy. I passed the test like five of us went. Hmm. I was the only one that passed the test. And I, so they said, you passed the test. And I said, well, what, why do you sign that? So I, I'm signing everything. I'm actually in the Navy delay entry program. For those who don't know what that is, that means you already, you join the Navy and you just waiting to ship out. Hmm. So when I got home, I had a reality check. I said, man, I don't even like the water. What I'm doing? Yeah. <laughs> well, I went to back to my recruiter and I said, is there anything I can do to get out of the Navy and go in the Army? He said, well, you already signed, but you, you are not really officially in the Navy until you go to the MEPS in Atlanta and sign that last time, then you in the Navy. I said, I don't want to do that. I said, I want to go in the Army. So make a long story short, I went to the Army and I did 22 years in the Army. But that what forced me to go in the army with him pulling that gun on me and telling me, you gonna finish this this field today. And those two incidents right there, the incident about my older brother and the end of this incident about him putting the gun, that what made me realize that I was still a son of a shadow hmm. <laughs> I, I I'm speechless, man. <laughs> I, I, I'm just totally speechless because- I know, I know. Yeah. But see, this thing happened, Mr. G. And nobody never said anything because in the country, don't, you know, like, and not saying the city had it easy, because like me, you talked about earlier, you still had your, your stuff in the city where people were treating you a different way in the city. But in the country, where the white man had total control of everything, and he had the, he had the support of the law enforcement, he had the support of the judge in the country, 
he basically control your life. You know, it's it is is it's hard to to fight against that. The only thing you can do is either fight against it and make a bad name for yourself or get out of it. And I told her to get out and go to the military. And the, going in the military was the best thing that could ever happen to me ever. That changed my life for good going in the military. Well, I'm glad that happened, Willie. And again, we're at the at the end of our short yes, episode. Sir. I know. Um, but again, I, I appreciate the fact that you decided to come back for a part two. And we would definitely, you know, review the feedback. Yes, sir. And if you want to come back, this is the place. Old school yes, thoughts. This is the place. This is where we're leaving legacies. We're leaving history behind for our children and grandchildren and, and descendants. Yes, sir. Uh, to to know that these stories exist. They exist. Yeah. And they never told. So again, I, I want to thank you for uh, joining me. Yes, sir. And to all of the listeners, I appreciate you. And I will give Willie an opportunity to to say his last words, and then we'll shut it down. Okay. Uh, you know. After my first podcast, I uh, I told I texted all my kids and I forwarded to them. I said, "Y'all, y'all listen to this." And the feedback that I got from them, it was twofold. They were like, "Dad, we sorry y'all had to go through what y'all went through, but you need, to, but we glad that you said something about it." Mm-hmm. And they already knew some of this stuff, but a lot of the details they didn't know. Mm-hmm. So. Just that right there, and then Mr. G shared to me a couple of comments that other people said. Just that right there was enough to make me want to come back and say, well, these stories need to be told, and they need to be told to our younger people so they can understand that, you know, ain't nothing given to you. Everything that we got, somebody, again, had to pay the way. Somebody had to pay the price. And it was did for us with our parents, and we did, and we doing it for our children. And guess what? Our children would take the same legacy and do the same thing for their children, but in a different way, in a different time. But it still boils back down to the same thing. So with that being said, I just hope this podcast helps somebody. And uh, look, I don't mind sharing my stories if it helps somebody. And, and I don't look for anything in return. I just I just love talking to Mr. G about this stuff. And he said, I opened his eyes to it. So if this is a sergeant major in the United States Army <laughs> and retired and his eyes got open to it, then I know somebody else's eyes are going to get open to it too. Well, Willie, again, I want, I want to thank you and thank you for the the education. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm definitely paying attention and I hear you. Yes, and, sir. And until, to all of the listeners and to Willie and his family, I love you. And until next time, be good. Thank you.